Any questions tonight? Um, I just saw someone write on the... Um, there's another forum than the, uh, than the one that we all started. Mm-hmm. Some other people from there are... are people coming from there to do laws for them. Um, they had uh, only seen the Swarup discu- discussion but missed out on the Anadikarma discussion and, and, and they were saying like, like they say that um, you have to get your Swarup from, from a Sadhu but, but like what about in the Tutashta region because some people chose to go up directly to the spiritual world. So how how do they get there? Sort of then, and maybe that's a good uh, entrance and like entry point to discuss that because you wrote, you wrote in aesthetic Vedanta that to develop uh, into a spiritual personality, you have to take birth in the lila in the, in the material world first. You can't just you can't enter the, the spiritual world and develop there because there's no development there. It's all perfect. Mm-hmm. Do you want to discuss that? Well, it it brings up a couple of points. It it, it brings up a, a whole discussion that that um, of, of two topics that are related, and many people who discuss them don't realize that they're related. The two topics are the so-called fall of the jiva and the so-called inherent spiritual body inside the atma. Hmm? And uh, neither of these are actual doctrines of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, but they're inevitably, if you have a conversation about one, which these days goes on forever, it turns to the other one in due course, and you're seeing that. Hmm? So I expected that would, would come around. Um, but the, the reason that these talks are important to me, it's funny because it's very much misunderstood by persons that um, that, um, that listen in, in, in sometimes, and uh, and and I'm accused of being um, uh, lacking fidelity to the bhakti vinoda, you know, paribar. I mean, they wouldn't even use the term; they don't even think of it like that. But to to you know, to Prabhupada or to Sri Ramarash or 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 so forth, and, um, um, you know, her- heretical and uh, just a, uh, uh, somebody's intelligent but doesn't have any realization, you know, so he can quote scriptures, you know. Um, you know, our gurus have realization and they say this and, and, and so forth. So these are the kind of, some of the kind of feedback that, that you get, unfortunately. And it betrays a entirely a complete misunderstanding of why I'm even involved in the topic. I actually get involved as a service to our our lineage. Hmm? Because our lineage coming from Bhaktivinoda, as we conceive of it, hmm, and, and, and rightfully so, is a very powerful lineage that has made a huge contribution to the world and to Gaudiya Vaishnava community because uh, without its contribution, Gaudiya Vaishnavism would, would be unknown in the world. Hmm? And so, while there are other lineages besides ours, the fact is that many of them have gotten energy from ours. Hmm? And of late, 
more because of the, the unfortunate condition that ours finds itself in with the departure of, of Prabhupada and squabbling and, and apparent and obvious misunderstandings of things that he said and so on and so forth and, and um, persons representing him who end up misrepresenting him in the position of spiritual leadership and leaves people spiritual orphans and, and so other lineages that um, of Gaudiya Vaishnavism get some overflow and so forth and and um, and um, while we may have some differences from them they may not be as large as some people think at times um, and and they of course have their understanding of Gaudiya Vaishnavism from the text of the Goswamis and so forth and whatever Bhaktivinoda Thakur says and those after him, it doesn't really have much bearing on, on them. They're not gurus of their lineage. And, and if all of a sudden Bhaktivinoda starts saying something different about, for example, one of these two issues falling from Baikuntur, the Sarup inherent, and so forth, they have no reason to to think that they should suddenly change course from the main all the main texts that don't... Um, promote those kind of doctrines. Hmm? Um, and so, when you look at our lineage and you look at the work of Bhakti Vinod and how he was trying to interface with modernity, the modern world, and think of preaching in different ways and so forth, you see that he, you know, he, he has a strategy. Hmm? And it's a good thing because it's, it's successful. But strategies have their utility uh, often, you know, to a point, hmm? and when they, they no, longer, no longer become a useful strategy. Hmm? Um, Prabhupada had a strategy: any publicity is good publicity. At a certain point, I don't think that's a good strategy at the, at the present time. Hmm? Um, so, just to give you an example, uh, and there are examples before Bhaktivinoda of acharyas in our lineage of ha- having preaching strategies where they preach something that didn't conform entirely with the Siddhanta, but they thought, if I speak about it in this way, this will be the best thing to get people, certain people involved and on board and so forth. A very prominent example of that is Jiva Goswami, who was, who was a, obviously a prominent and founding Acharya of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, who preached in Ramasamita commentary, in his Ujjwal Nilamani commentary, in his Kramsandarbha, in his um, um, Gopal Tapani, or Gopal Champu, um, and uh, um, uh, Sandarbha hmm? and that uh, in the Krishna Sandarbha that part that, uh, the, that the, in the in the afterlife, if you will, in the unmanifest leela of Krishna, there is swakiya instead of parakiya. Parakiya means the unwedded love of Radha and Krishna, and swakiya means married love. So he portrays the leela in in Golok as being a married one. Hmm? And that completely contradicts Rupa Goswami when, and, and, and his own gurus. And in Ujjbal Nilamani, which is a book of Rupa Goswami, the very first verse in Vishwanath Chakravartaka's commentary, who comes after Jiva Goswami, he says, and so um, Jiva Goswami has said this, but, uh, but this can't be an this is why he said it, and there's a huge, long explanation of why that can't be so. Basically quoting scripture. Hmm? 
and demonstrating how there has to be parakya in the in the aprakat lila, non-manifest lila. And he's just everywhere, you know, demonstrating that that. And then he says, and at the end of his commentary on this book, this very same book, Ujjvalin Mani, Jiva Goswami has said, and he quotes the verse, Jiva Goswami says, in some places what I've, I've written is my opinion, in some, some places I've written to, for the sake of others and their opinion. Hmm. So he uses that to say hmm, that wherever Jiva Goswami has written about Swakya, he is doing it because certain people could not, moral people of the time, hundreds of years ago, in India, which would be extremely conservative, you know, compared to today, um, could not relate to the idea that God was a was a parakya lover and the ultimate ideal, and so they thought it's just a, an occasional, apparent, possible, occasional leela in the in the manifest leela, but ultimately, Radha and Krishna must be married and so forth. So, for what, whatever it was their mentality, I'm giving some conjecture as to what it was and so forth, how they couldn't quite digest it. It could have been any number of other things, um, but there were some disciples of Jiva Goswami, followers of Jiva Goswami, who couldn't digest this idea of parakya in the Paravyom. So he wrote about it in, in, in a way which is a preaching for a strategy that doesn't conform really with the Siddhanta. Although there is a section of Golok where that Mary Leela takes place, that's not the ideal of Gaudiya Vaishnavism where to enter and so forth. So it's a pretty prominent example of having a preaching strategy that's different from Siddhanta. Hmm? And there are others. I mean, the Buddha did the same thing, arguably. The Buddha, who's supposed to be an incarnation of Vishnu, preached no soul. Hmm? And there are people, even in Buddhism today, who argue that that is a preaching strategy and it's not a metaphysical doctrine of the Buddha. Hmm? And he said, there's no self... Hmm? Um, for the purpose of having people focus on this deconstructing the, the the ego, but obviously somebody has to be doing the deconstruction, and so he didn't address the issue. Hmm? Um, but actually, metaphysically speaking, he posits that there is a self, which would be more similar to. Well, anyway, so preaching strategy of the Buddha, and so. This idea of a preaching strategy, it's not something out of the blue that I've made up or something like that. There's, there's precedence for this. Krishna himself in the Bhagavad Gita had a preaching strategy to Nanda Maharaj to get him to worship Govardhan Hill. He preached Sankhya philosophy, Karma Mimamsa, Nyaya philosophy, and gave all these arguments from that. And so Nanda Maharaj, of course, was just charmed by him. He said, well, forget the Indra Yogi, we'll do the Govardhan Puja and so forth. Shankar, who is an incarnation of Shiva, said to be empowered by Vishnu with a preaching strategy to preach to atheists. Hmm? And so these are just a number of examples. So for to say that Thakur Bhakti Vinod, who is unique in his posture and uh, in, in what he wants to do with Gaudiya Vaishnavism, to have some preaching strategy to deal with the West on certain issues, um, where, for example, everybody thinks you fell down from the Garden of Eden, Eden or whatever, and the principal argument on the in discussion of theodicy or, or you know how can God be all good and there be evil in the world that comes up in Western theology is that is the, the jiva has free will, you know, the self has free will. So he, you know, he studied from the West. He, he I call him the first Western convert because he was 
he grew up reading Western philosophy and so forth in Bengal and Calcutta. So um, it's not a stretch to posit the idea that he has a preaching strategy. And then on these two issues, when you see that he's talked about it in two different ways, sometimes saying, oh, the this, Swarup this is inherent, or appearing to say that, and sometimes saying the opposite. Then, then you've got, oh, well, you've got two sides here. Hmm? And so one side, you look at it and see it conforms with all the principal texts, hmm? and the other side doesn't. So it's reasonable to conjecture, well, he preached in this way sometimes for his own purpose, and meanwhile, meanwhile, the Siddhanta is like this. Why bring that up, someone might say? Hmm? Why not just go with it? Because preaching strategies have a limitation. And this is one of the limitations. limitation is that, as I said, our paribar has given energy to other paribars, but its own failures in some respect have caused people to go beyond our paribar and join other paribars, and that's why they've given them energy. I'm not a, it's not a bad thing, necessarily. I mean, it's bad that our paribar has, has had spiritual weakness and a lot of it in Prabhupada's disciples and so forth who try to serve as, 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 as gurus. And we, we know that story, you know, unfortunate story. But, um, and then, well, anyway, so then, so some people go and find other gurus and then they, they, they hear, well, actually, this is the teaching on this and it says this here, it says it here, it says it here, it says it here. And if you look, it says it everywhere. Hmm? For example, that there's, there's no, no, bhakti inside the atma. There's no little body in there. It's about ready to come out, you know, a spiritual body, which is the spiritual body for the Siddha day is the, is the very form that the perfection of prema takes. Hmm? So it's not hidden in there and it's, it's going to sprinkle sadhana bhakti on it and it's going to come out or something like that. You know, it, and the jiva has its own sroop, its own nature. Hmm. Characteristics and so forth, but spiritual body—that's nothing. That's a blessing of of of, of bhakti. And we'll maybe go into the the argument a little bit, but, but the argument is very clear, and there's there's so much precedent in 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 the scriptures. And so you're at a time when this is what's happening, and so you're faced with the. Some people will criticize your your lineage because you teach something that doesn't conform with the Siddhanta. Is it to say, you guys don't know what you're talking about? Now, if you want to turn to them and say, you're all sahaja, useless people, our gurus are perfect, and, and, and they've said this, and you don't believe in the words of Bhaktivinoda, and so, you know, you're all in Maya, and we don't have anything to do with them. What you've got here is just an expanded um, kind of sectarianism that another institution is famous for, that many of these people themselves reject. Hmm? You understand? Uh, they're just doing the same thing. Hmm? And they're just getting emotional about it and sectarian about it. And my group, Prabhupada said, like, we only do it like Prabhupada. So we only do it like Bhaktivinoda. Well, they don't really do it like Bhaktivinoda. They really do it like Prabhupada, who taught us themselves that their words, um, in terms of Siddhanta, would be such if they correspond with the teachings of the previous acharyas and so forth. Hmm? Where we see some change, that we think, oh, there must be a reason for this. We can conjecture what some reason is, but our te- the very teaching to us is that, you know, how to arrive at Siddhanta. So, so 
if we just say this to everybody else, then intelligent people are going to see, well, just like some people see, oh, Iskand tends to be fanatical about Prabhupada and so forth. So, yeah, who wants to join join that? Hmm? So the same thing will become for the whole party where you, and then intelligent people will go go elsewhere and so forth. So there's no need for that. Hmm? Hmm? So I want to say, no, our gurus aren't stupid. They didn't not know this. They preach this in a certain way. Here's this here. They said it the right way here and, and so forth. They had a reason for it. We agree with that. And so there here you go. Now you got nothing to criticize. Hmm? Nothing to criticize our sect for. I've been involved in these kind of things for decades. Hmm? First it was the, all, the whole, if you didn't get your swaroop from the guru at the time of initiation, well, I guess you didn't get really initiated and you're going to miss out because you've got to get a swaroop from the guru and or else. So, you know, through my writing and so forth, I, I preached and demonstrated that, well, actually, that's not necessarily true. Hmm? There are three ways in which you can attain. Two by information, one by realization. The two by information will have to turn into realization, ultimately, as well. So Guru could say, you know, you're a cowherd, and, and I, you know, this is, I see you like this, and so, and so forth. Or through practice, a certain stage in sadhana will naturally arise, as Vishnu Chakriti Thakur points out, incites the Bhagavatam and his Raghavartma Chandrika to give support to that. So that's our our position. We do it like that. Hmm? It's perfectly viable. And now, recently I heard that the, the, the successor to the present Mahant at Radhakund hmm, um, has started to preach to his own constituents that actually this way is also a viable way hmm, that, that Bhakti Vinod and Bhakti Siddhanta taught and so forth. So, and I happen to be somebody that all of those other groups they know. He knows the Siddhanta, and he's in Bhakti Vinod Paribar, and he represents it in a way that we can relate to. And so we have our boundaries, we have our own group, and and so forth. But this brings—I'm trying to bring dignity to the organization instead of denying something, getting emotional about it, and so forth. And it doesn't mean that oh, our, our Bhakti Vinod didn't know something. You know, no, there's no reason to think about it like that. So I see it as an important service. If you just want to ignore it and become ballistic and, and emotional about it, I mean, it's uh, it's counterproductive, hmm? and it 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 becomes offensive. Hmm? So, again, the way I, I look at why I get involved, the reason I get involved in it is very different from what they think. Oh, he just thinks he's got some scripture and all. Thinks he's smarter than Bhakti Vinod, you know. But Bhakti Vinod is realization. Yours is just scriptural knowledge. Well. Wait a minute here, you know. Realization should correspond with the scriptural, the theoretical knowledge. You know, there's a theory, and the realization is supposed to conform with that. It's not supposed to be different. So, be nice to know the theory, hmm? and you know what you're supposed to be realizing. Uh, so, just to say, oh, so what, you know the theory. But, you know, I mean, it's just, it's really kind of childish. Hmm? And it's offensive hmm? to, the, to the teaching, really. So... Um, I take a, 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 a exception to it, and, and, and so I've been, been writing about it. And then and you get these people. You, 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 I told this one fellow today on this form. I said, "Hey, look, you know, like, what do I have to do here? You know, you asked me a question. What is the nature? What is the root then of the jiva that's different from its 
spiritual body if you say they're different. So, okay, I'll tell you. <laughs> Here you go. I've said it, the, you know, many other ways. Oh, you want to start again? Okay, I'll start again. Here's something from Brihad Bhagavatamrita that describes the Sarupa, the Jiva. Hmm? It's Satchitananda, Anu, atomic particle of Satchitananda. Hmm? Its Ananda is different than the Ananda of Bhakti. Hmm? When it gets Bhakti, then it can have Ananda that it couldn't have otherwise, So, which means there's no Bhakti in the, in the Sarupa of the Jiva, and so forth. And so I quote the verse. I explain what Sanatana Goswami explains, says the same, elaborates on the same point. And they just, you know, ignore it and, 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 and then go on and, and, and say, well, you know, can, you know, could you say something else about that? You know, so, okay, well, here, here, here's a description of the Swarup, the inherent nature of the Jiva and its different qualities given by Jiva Goswami in the Paramat of Sandarbha. And you can see there's no spiritual body in there, hmm? hiding in there somewhere, right? There's no prem in there. Hmm? It would be a pretty prominent characteristic. You might want to mention it if it was there, you know. <laughs> so then the fellow replies, says, well, it doesn't say there's not a spiritual body in there. I said, what do you want? It doesn't say that it doesn't have wings either. Should we think that maybe it does, you know? <laughs> I mean, what kind of... So then I, I have to think, you know, you, you approach me as a sadhu, O Maharaj, I humbly ask you, but you, what you really want is not what I offer. What any sadhu offers is what the scripture says, which tells you about things that you couldn't understand with your mind, that are beyond the ken of your own material understanding. That's why we go to Revelation to understand them. Hmm? What you do is bring your lokika shraddha, your worldly faith, of what you want to believe, and then you want the Shastra to conform to that. And every time I cite something that doesn't conform to it, you ignore it and go to try to find something else over here that you think conforms with your ordinary faith, it's not Shastric faith, and then you want to present that to me, and it, it, it never ends. But in reality, you haven't presented even one verse in all of this, not one verse that supports the idea that there's a swarup you know, of the, uh, there's a spiritual form inside the Jiva, not one verse. I've sorted so many from, from the Gita, from the Bhagavatam, from the, you know, from the Brihad Bhagavatamrita, from the, the Sandarbhas, and Vedanta Sutra. W- w- you know, where does it end? How many do you have to... And realize, well, you know, you don't really want to know. You're not really approaching with the disposition that is part of the deal here <laughs> of how it works, how you, you know, faith in bhakti. And what the scripture says bhakti is might be different than what you think. Well, you'd like to find out that is the, is the point. So it's, uh, it, it can be a little frustrating, but then, then again, you know, there's benefit for all of you that are listening in the right way. And so anyway, this is why I, why I get, get involved in this. And as I say, the two issues, they kind of, they kind of go together. Um, um, and so, um, you know, you end up talking about uh, both of them, which are all both um, one way of talking to them is part of a, arguably a, a preaching strategy in other ways is Siddhanta. So, um, um, yeah, Bhakti Vinod, uh, with regard to Anadi Karma, he, 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 he said that, well, from the Tatasta region, the Jiva makes a choice hmm, to go into the spiritual world, the material world. And so, the basis of his conditioning is his own will. God's not to blame. Hmm? So, and it's a naughty because it happens outside of time. Hmm? 
So it's a preaching strategy. It may work for a while, but then you think about it and you go, well, wait a minute here, you know. You know, with the rational mind of the West, it's a little more tenacious than maybe Bhaktivinotap or thought, you know. We're rationalists for centuries, and so whether we want to be or not, we, you know, we are, you know, to a larger extent than the Eastern mind usually uh, is. We want reasons for everything, and uh, that the Eastern mind doesn't necessarily require uh, to the same extent. So, you know, you look at it under scrutiny and, well, you know, he has a vague idea of the upper world and a vague idea of the lower world, and he makes a choice. Well, if your choices are vague, then you can't really be culpable for making the wrong choice. Hmm? If, your vo- if your choices were clear, hmm? then you have a free exercise of will and you make the wrong choice, then you're guilty. But if you don't even know what you're choosing, hmm? okay, I've got two choices, and they're behind the screen, hmm? <laughs> one might be better, one might be... What you think? You know, take your pick. So, I mean, it kind of breaks down um, in terms of wanting to make the case that God's not responsible for the suffering in the world. The jivas are responsible. The sutras make the same case. The jivas are responsible because of karma. And karma has no beginning. And that's all there is to it. Hmm? But but wait, I want there to be a beginning. Hmm? Well, you asked revelation and they told you like this everything doesn't have a beginning in fact nothing has a beginning how's that whatever is has always been whatever is not will never be hmm? whatever exists is always has been as always existing such is the nature of existence and whatever doesn't exist will never exist so these are different ideas they don't entirely fit between the ears and we should stop trying to make them fit between the years. That's the whole idea of how to go, part of the idea of how to go beyond your limited rational mind. And so we have to use reason to understand Scripture, but one of the things that Scripture tells us at the same time is that your reason has limitations. It has a jurisdiction. And um, to go beyond that jurisdiction requires faith in the Shastra. And so if you, if you realize the shortcomings of intellect by the proper exercise of intellect, then you can exercise your, yourself in a transrational way on the basis of faith and what Revelation says and get realization beyond the limits of your intellect. So the whole idea, anadi, no beginning. Hmm? I mean, there's God, and God has his shaktis. We're the manifestation of one of his shaktis. So it's all existing, all forever. Hmm? Maya Shakti is one of them, and so there you go. It's just all, <laughs> I like it. It's just happening. It's very soothing, actually. Hmm? Um, and uh, it's actually, it, the whole idea of anadi is a very, it's a very good meditation. It takes you into a very different way of thinking about about, about life and how it works and uh, uh, so forth. So, um, at any rate, he posited this idea and... Um, so people want to make something out of it and say in that Tatasta region, really there's no Tatasta region. There's a, Jiva is called Tatasta, which means that one of its kind of, if you want to talk about it in a word, its, characteristics, it, its characteristic is adaptability. So it can adapt to the material environment. It can adapt to the spiritual environment. And what it is inherently has to include what it is in potential 
in relation to any one of the particular environments. So there are qualities inside the jiva that are inherent in the jiva that will manifest relative to the nurture of a particular environment. That's its nature. It has a nature that it can be nurtured. If it's nurtured by the material nature, which is kind of a you know, bad upbringing, you know, then it's going to develop a false ego, false identification, and a corresponding body, and so forth. And if it develops under the, the nurture of, of, of bhakti, the other side, the sarup shakti, then it's going to um, develop a spiritual serving ego. And that bhakti, which is nurturing, will also take a shape as that bhakti turns from sadhana to bhava to prem, and that shape is the, then the swoop or the spiritual body that the devotee will serve in. And of course, it's different than the material body, and that's because it's consciousness rather than matter. So hmm, the bond with it is, is, is different than the, the apparent bond of the material body, which has no roots, and we never really touch matter and so forth. So these are, of course, the scriptural ideas everywhere it's said that, that, that it's a blessing, the, the form and so forth. So, so, there, so there, there's nowhere like Tatasta region that's part of the, the, the preaching strategy of Bhakti Vinod, which is basically the strategy of saying it's the will of the jiva. Hmm? And, and, and this is, of course, the, the, like I said, the, the, the Christian idea largely. And Christians do not have an idea of beginningless time. And if you say to the Christian, beginningless time, they'll say, well, you didn't answer the question. That's what they'll say. You say, why is, why is there suffering in the world hmm, if God is all good? And they'll say, well, it's the jiva makes the choices. So it has its free will. Hmm? Okay, they like that kind of argument. So, I mean, I'm simplifying. There's a lot of different arguments, but that's a main, been a main theme. And the themes have developed over time from the time of Bhakti Vinod Thakur, you know, a couple hundred, over a hundred years ago. So, so seeing that argument and seeing this, and that is that if you tell the Christian thinkers, even today, and I've seen it from scholars, that the reason that God is not responsible for the suffering of the jivas, is because there's no beginning to the world. Hmm? God's not responsible because that's the way it is. Or they say that you're not giving an answer. You're not giving an answer, they say. That's, that's not an answer. Hmm? What's the beginning of the jiva's suffering? There's, there's no beginning. Well, you're not answering the question. They have a certain mindset, a Western mindset that wants an answer in a certain way that Revelation doesn't offer. It says it's just not like that. Stop thinking like that. It's just not like that. Hmm? The Eastern Revelation. So they they have some built-in opposition hmm, to this idea of beginningless time, beginningless karma. Hmm? Um, and so... It's reasonable that Bhakti Milatakar might think, well, let's talk about it like this, you know, make the case like this. But in time, as I say, for the sake of our own paribar, amongst other devotees and so forth, this becomes an issue, so you want to deal with it. So the, the, the jiva is tatasta. There's no tatasta region. There's no beginning to any soul. Hmm? Somebody said to me, well, in Preeti Sandarva, it says that 
whenever a soul leaves the world, that Vishnu creates another one to put it in place so there'll never be any depletion. Hmm? So, well, you might want to read the text a little better, you know. <laughs> What's said there in that section is that, is that the Jiva Goswami cites uh, one of the Puranas, hmm? and the reason he cites the Puranas is the Purana is saying, is speaking about the, the, the glory of something called Samipya Mukti. Hmm? Samipya means what? To be hmm, close, personal attendant of Vishnu, one of the types of mukti in Vaikuntha. Hmm? That's what the subject is. In the context of discussing the subject, the prana says that if a soul leaves the world, Vishnu immediately sends another one and so forth. Hmm? And then it says, and actually there are unlimited souls and unlimited universes, and so forth. So, so then Jiva Goswami is not citing it to make that point Indeed, he goes on to say, the truth of the matter is, with regard to that particular statement, is that, is that there's never creation of any souls, so all souls are all existing, and, you know, and there's never any beginning. And so, so you kind of miss the whole thing, and you just take it out of, out of context. And what's happening in that Purana is just a simple way of saying it. You know, the question, well, what happens if the souls all leave the world? Well, then God will put more in there. You know? Okay? How's that? You know? but, but, the, but the bigger answer is, there's infinite number of souls. And you go, infinite number of souls. So what happens then if one leaves? And you've still got, you've still got infinite. Will all the souls ever be saved? Well, it's, there's an infinite number. Why some souls get saved and some don't? Well, how are we going to save them all? It's infinite. How are you going to save them if it's infinite? These don't compute, these kind of answers. But that's the story. That's the kind of world we live in. That's the reality, according to the to the Eastern Revelation. So, you know, you're asking the wrong questions. Hmm? And either you want to stop asking the wrong questions and, and, and you have faith in the Revelation, or you want to carry on with your particular bias and way of thinking of things and want it all to work according to your mind, you know. And those are your choices you have. And, and the, really, so you start to see, when you get these kind of objections, you start to see, well, these people don't really have Shraddha. They're Vaishnav Pry almost a Vaishnav, kind of a Vaishnav, because Shraddha is the beginning. And you see, this is the beginning. Shastriya Shraddha, you have to believe. Hmm? You have, you, I mean, for good reason. You have reason in Revelation that, that I will know comprehensively from something beyond the exercise of my mind. And the principal manifestation of that is Shastriya, and the Guru represents it and in form, in person, in action, and in teaching, by citing it and explaining it and giving the logic of it and so forth. So if you don't have that, you're not bringing that to the plate. You're not even really having started the path of bhakti. Hmm? As much as that's lacking. You've got worldly faith, not shastriya shraddha. Faith in, 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 in the argument of scripture. Hmm? Big problem. Hmm? It all comes out on these kind of issues. So you see, you have to talk about it. So the argument there is, well, bhakti you know, says, you know, so even if you take the argument that Bhakti Mo is making, then you, then you can start to see how it, it falls apart, and it's okay, because it's just a preaching strategy anyway, <laughs> you know, so it's okay. It's all right. Where does it fall apart? It falls apart in the way that you were, you were pointing out. Well, there's this Tatasta region, and so at some point beyond time, <laughs> there's a beginning <laughs> where the jiva makes a choice amongst two things that he doesn't really understand what they are, clearly, and... And if he chooses the Vishnu side, 
to go to the Vishnu side, then he gets a spiritual form. The spiritual form that's in him, I guess, comes out, hmm? uh, and there he is. Um, so, well, but the way in which we learn that the, that the jiva acquires a spiritual form and goes to Baloka is through sadhana practice and so forth, and and there's no there's no like devotees up there in the Tasta region, you know, hanging out, you know, canvassing and you know selling books. And some people say yes, and some people say no. You know, <laughs> one to say yes. There you go. You got your here's your sarup, and off you go. You know, <laughs> um, and and of course, you know, it, it's talking about by Kuda, There's no way of going to Goloka like that. Like you said, in Goloka, the system is one has to. Have this association of the eternal associates of, of Krishna and and and, and, uh, and so forth. So, so maybe maybe uh, you know, and the, and the, and, the, and they want to say, okay, they want to say, well, each jiva is completely individual um, and has a unique personality. Well, no, each jiva is the same, has the same quality, but it has will. Will makes it exciting. Different because it's free. It's independent. Will is independent. Hmm? So if I if I take two persons of of, of will, hmm, and I place two options before them, there's no reason why each person will choose the same thing. One could choose one. One could choose another. Who can say? Hmm? Of course, you can only choose from the opportunities that are presented to you. Within the context of that, uh, there's there's no reason. That, so that we're different. We're unique. In that way, and that's in a potential way, given the opportunity to choose, given environments to function within, we can make choices. But to say that we are crafted in a certain way, that inside of this one is a cowherd, inside of that one is a four-handed guy, inside of this one over here is a rambakta, inside of this one is a sayuja merger, hmm? <laughs> you know, then you, you, maybe you want to say this because you feel like, I myself... And I don't want to be made into something, but you just have been. By your own thinking, you're predestined. Where's your will now? You were made like that. You have no choice in the matter. Hmm? You've just done away with the free will that you think is so important to you. Hmm? you know, so, you know, meanwhile, we're saying you have some choice in, in, in the matter as, a matter, as a matter of fact. But your choice is limited. It's not unlimited. It's limited to the opportunities that are presented to you by Sadhu Sangha, so which happens in this world, hmm? which is going on forever. There are always two forces in the world: the force of karma, the force of bhakti, is there, and therefore there are forces of mixed bhakti with gyan and yoga, hmm? and people come in touch with them by chance. Hmm? That's what the scripture says, hmm? and they get a sangskar accordingly, and now they can move away from the material environment towards the particular... So, yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no, there's no scriptural basis for this idea. Hmm? There is a statement in the, in, in, in the Paramatma Sandarbha that there are jivas, tatasta shakti. Hmm? Some of them in the material world are called nityabhada, hmm? means conditioned from a time without beginning, and then there are those who are nityamukta. So there are souls that are constituted of sarup shakti, and there are souls that are constituted of tatasta shakti. They are also eternally liberated. Hmm? But it's not that 
two of them are here, starting off here, and then they make their choices and go in different ways. One is here, and one is there. Hmm? When does that one get its root? It's, 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 it's got it from... It's always had it. Hmm? Hmm? It's, it's still constituted as Sarup Shakti, it's still a blessing of Bhagwan and, and so forth. Our position is better. Hmm? Hmm. We get some choice in the matter, some choice, relatively. But anyway, these are all, um, um, well, some, some ways of talking about it. But it's, it's a big, uh, to me, it's an important discussion for the reasons that I, that I mentioned. And then, then, then you know, it's for the overarching reasons, we want to support the, the lineage and, and and so forth, and give the dignity that it that it deserves, and 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 so forth. And then then as I get into the issue, I see, oh my God, there's such a paucity of understanding here, misconception. It is really important. I better you know, these people don't even have shraddha, hmm? and they and they and they think they're on the path of bhakti, and they're going to correct me. You know, even they're not even in on the path practically. So. And it's widespread, and so you feel like, you know, what are you going to do? And then you see they start they start making offenses, and then you think, what am I going to do now? They're making offenses. You try to tell them the truth. It's like dog bites the hand that feeds them, you know. And you go to bed with a heavy heart. How can I help these people? You know. And then they call you names and stuff. Send you send you nasty emails that you're you know blasphemer if they're guru or something. What are you talking about? You know. <laughs> it's. Uh, it's a sad, sad story. So, um, so we make the effort. Some people benefit from it, but that's why there's Vaishnava Aparad. You know? so I didn't come in the Aparad. Maybe in the last life you did. You know, so you're a good guru. You're being saved from that. You're getting the right teachings and, and according to the time and, and circumstance. So, does that answer your question? Yeah. I mean, there's. It's the whole the Tusta region thing. You got to shut that down right from the start before we start talking about what happens in there. Mm-hmm. And then Bhakti Vinod doesn't talk about what happens in there. How the how the, so that they just then they just start speculating from there. <laughs> the two make a choice. You say, well, well, how did you know? How did he make a choice to? Wh- wh- in what way was Bhakti represented there? And what, what they, you know? What they, there's no answer. So they just start speculating and and. Uh, and what's the there's no sadhana there they just and then you're you're back to well it seems unfair you know just life isn't necessarily fair that's krishna's krishna is is impartial but he's also partial to his devotees that's his wonderful quality because he's partial to his devotees he gives them the right to distribute bhakti hmm? And wherever bhakti goes, he goes. He's there. So he puts himself in the hands of bhakti. He puts bhakti in the hands of his devotees. When? There's no beginning to that either. So there are always devotees in the world. There are always carriers of bhakti. And they're distributing it. They make some discrimination who to give it to or not. But pretty much they try to give it to everybody. But sometimes they say, whoops, I can't give it to that guy. He's offensive. <laughs> I'm going to move over here. Uh, still, I may be even some benefit to, to that person, but... Uh, but you don't want to cause them offense, so hmm. a little bit of a tightrope, you know, walking on eggshells to to preach to your own, you know, constituents, other other people who are involved. And then there's always the tendency to think that the previous acharyas they're the real ones, and the present ones are not. So then they you know they don't pay attention to the people who can actually help them right now. 
and you don't know what what do you got to do? Stand on your head, you know, convince him you you know, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to teach him theory, and, that, and that's not enough. That's that just oh, that just means you you think a lot, you know. You know, about the right things, you know. Well, yeah, you know, why not? Isn't they supposed to think about Krishna? This is a form, of, a form of it, you know. Pretty important form. It's about the foundation, you know, on, on which the house of Bhakti is built, the canvas on which the Leela, the art of the Leela is drawn, and so on. So, uh, it's just, yeah, it's a sorry, uh, sorry situation, unfortunately. But, you know, we try to do some good, and that's the, the reasoning, my, my reasoning behind it. Hmm. So there's no falling from from Bhikkhu or anywhere, hmm? and it's always a free choice for bhakti. It's always available in the world. I'm, you know, opportunity uh, it presents itself, and, and even without choosing, it touches you. And there you have a beginning. It's it's very generous. She's very generous, bhakti. Hmm? And no, there's no there's no there's no bhakti inside of the makeup of the jeep. It's got a lot of, a lot of nice things and qualities and so forth. But, but some of the most important ones are ones that are why it's called tatasta, because they they will manifest in relation to an environment. Like for example, the jiva has a will that means it's an agent of action. Okay. Hmm? Now, if you have no environment, how can you be an agent of action? There's a material environment. There's a spiritual environment. You want to take those away and say, "What's the jiva?" I want to say, "What he really is outside this environment." Well, what are you going to see? You're going to say he's a unit of will. Well, you'd never know it. Will he ever do anything? What's there to do? There's no environment. Like in Brahman, there's no movement, for example. Brahman is a situation where uh, the Sarup Shakti is, is barely functioning, you know, if at all, hmm? and manifest, and the Maya Shakti is not present at all. So it's, it's still quiet. Nirvishesh, no qualities, no differentiation. Hmm? The jiva is something like that if you're separated from the environment, but it has qualities within it that if it's in touch with the environment, they'll come out. Hmm? And that doesn't make it something different than what it is. It, it means it's a dynamic reality. It has potentiality. And it, it it's either going to be in one environment or the other, or it's going to enter into Siuja, which is considered like spiritual suicide, hmm? from the bhakti perspective. So it dies its own own death because hmm? in there it can't realize the, those those qualities to be an enjoyer, to be an apprehender, to be a doer, hmm? have will. Hmm? How can you have that if there's no environment? Hmm? So that's why it's called tatasta. It's a very nice explanation. Hmm? And so, we get bhakti from other devotees who have bhakti, they touch us, and with that bhakti, welcome. Hmm? Under the influence of that bhakti in that culture, it turns from sadhana bhakti to bhava bhakti, which means bhakti in practice, to bhakti in ecstasy, to bhakti in prem, love of God. And the prem has a shape. Hmm? Love has a shape. Hmm? Why not? If it has no shape, how will it express itself? How will how will it be known? Hmm? And that's what's meant by the by spiritual form. Hmm? Sometimes it's said that God has no form because it means He doesn't have a form like ours. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Hmm? But 
which is our conception of form. Hmm? But we say a form that has no limit, that doesn't make sense to us, but everything's not doesn't have to answer to our rational faculty. The idea is that there's a form of expression, hmm? an idea, let's say, of music or art. They have no meaning without a canvas, without a scale, without, a, without an instrument. Hmm? So that shape, in the way I'm speaking about it, is not a, I'm just giving a material example, it's not a limitation, hmm? but it facilitates. Hmm? You take the cup, you know. Cheers. It's a form. It's facilitating my act of drinking. More than if you just like, oh, <laughs> poured some water and I might catch some and might not. Some of them might not. So here's an example of a form facilitating rather than limiting. Hmm? So it works both ways. Hmm? Even the material form facilitates in some ways, but of course it, 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 it's not an enduring reality. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. It's problematic. So there is a form of love. Hmm? And love means wise love. Hmm? Love that's drawn on the canvas of wisdom that distinguishes between lust and love, between between matter and consciousness. Hmm? Our identification with consciousness, that's the whole problem. We're attached to things we can't keep, so we're in anxiety. Hmm? We have desires in relation to things that aren't ours. So, naturally, you know, any thief is always going to be in anxiety. <laughs> no matter how much he steals, he thinks he might get arrested at any time. I'm just using a simple example. But our attachment to things, to sense objects, is the cause of all of our anxiety. As soon as you want something, you've got a problem. Hmm? No wants, no problem. Hmm? But no love, either. So there's another kind of wanting. Hmm? It's not a wanting that arises out of a sense of emptiness, but a, a wanting that arises out of a sense of fullness. Hmm? Wanting to please another. Hmm? So, we're speaking about, in preem, hmm? A realm in transcendence where there's a significant consciousness other, our source. And so there's a unity that is a dynamic unity of, of love. Hmm? And it, it takes a shape. So, hmm? After all, what is it that gives rise to material forms in one sense? It's consciousness investing itself in matter. Hmm? I, as a conscious subjective being, if you will, invest myself in wood and nails and and stone and whatnot, and, and it takes shape here as a temple, right? So if consciousness invested in itself or in consciousness in the subjective world, why not subjective shapes that don't limit but facilitate? Hmm? What do they facilitate? How do they... Do they um, facilitate mm, by giving freedom, space, but because they facilitate affection. Hmm? Affection is the most accommodating factor. Hmm? So while we speak about shapes, God seems to become smaller. Hmm? Actually, probably understood the idea is God's becoming bigger. Hmm? Because then that form 
facilitates expression of affection. We can live in a realm of affection where which will be the most accommodating and spacious realm. Like I've often said, if you love someone, you can live in a cave. <laughs> it doesn't matter. In a closet. Hmm? Uh, so the space is, is grows in terms of its accommodating nature by the measure, the extent that their affection is involved. Hmm? So with specificity about the beatific vision, let's say, to use a Catholic term, hmm, of the Godhead, there's possibility for loving. That means that that form is, is getting making the space bigger. Hmm? More freedom, freedom of intimacy, and, and so forth. Uh, free, and, 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 and freedom from what? The cage of material existence and the meanness of selfishness, and, which is just the antithesis. This makes our existence small and, and confining and so forth. It's all a question of, of consciousness. Hmm. And so to acquire a form, a corresponding form, hmm, this is the blessing of bhakti. That is the sharing of love. It starts it comes from that side to this side. So Bhagavad Gita, like I said, is like a love letter from Krishna. Hmm. And what is the subject? Love. But Krishna's talking about himself. But what is the context? The context is he's talking about bhakti. And bhakti has love has to have an object, so he has to talk about himself, too. Hmm. But really he's talking about, about bhakti. Hmm. Jairadhe, that's the Gaudiya position. Follow? Okay, so, any question? Yeah, some clarification for something you said. You said that there's uh, tatashta jivas that are mitya muktas. Mm-hmm. So it actually means they never were in material world. Right. So how does that work? Because they came, you know, they must have come from Mahavishnu. And... No, no. When you say that they come from the Paramatma, mm. it means two things. One is the manifestation of Paramatma, like Mahavishnu that oversees the world. Hmm? There's a paramatma in the, in the paravyom also, beyond material existence. Hmm? So, for example, those who worship the paramatma form in yoga, for example, Ishwar in Yoga Sutra, hmm? then when their chitta becomes cleansed, they enter samadhi and so forth, then, then the beatific vision of the paramatma is there, but it's in the paravyom. Hmm? Understand because he comes out of there, so to speak, he's an expansion of that. Hmm? So the Paramatma, the Parabhyam, so Mahasankrishan is manifesting Niji Mukta Jivas. Hmm? It has no beginning. Not, not from here going there, but they're happening there. Of course, nothing's happening in time. We were limited in our ability to talk about such events. You follow? Well, it's just like it's sometimes said, and actually Bhakti Mahasaya said, that Baladeva is manifesting, Jeeva is in the lok, Vaikuntha mm. also, the, Par- the Paramatma is another, Paramatma doesn't always mean the oversoul of the world, he is an expansion of the, of the, of the Mahasankarshan in Vaikuntha. In, in mm-hmm. mm. So, kind of retracts within when they go there and they meditate on him. So from him in the Paravyam, this Nitya Mukta Jivas are manifest. And in the form of in the form of Mahavishnu they're manifest for the Shristi Lila as Bada Jivas, Nitya Bada, the Tastas.
Welcome, sir. What's your name? Lucas. Lucas. Where, what brings you here? I'm visiting Craig. Visiting Craig, okay. Well, that's a good person to visit. Yeah. Have you been here before? No. Okay, well, you're welcome to stay as, as long as you like. All right, what is the time? Okay, we'll stop there. Sisi Gornatananda Kita. Vote Premanandi.